Hello, everyone. Welcome to Decoding Parenthood, where we unleash the secrets of happy parenting. Today, we have Ms. Macarena Fernandez, who is a speech-language pathologist, and we will be discussing and talking about challenges um, relating to speech and language. So welcome, Ms. Macarena Thank Fernandez. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are honored for you to be here. If you can just introduce yourself to our listeners and our viewers, that would be great. Yeah. So uh, my name is Macarena Fernandez. I am a speech-language pathologist and a board-certified behavior analyst. Um, I've been practicing since 2010, um, and um, I got my undergraduate degree at the University of Maryland College Park in speech-language pathology. Um, my master's um, from the George Washington University in speech and hearing sciences, and my certificate in behavior analysis from the Florida Institute of Technology. As she mentioned, she does have her own practice, but she mainly does in-home therapy and she also goes to schools. We will be talking a lot about speech and language delays and how, as parents, what we can do to help cope up with that. What are the common issues you see that the parents are facing when it comes to their children? So that's a good question. So the majority of the phone calls I get, so as I mentioned before, um, I've been working with ch children with autism and um, other developmental disabilities for, gosh, the past 13 years. Um, so a lot of the phone calls I get are related to um, possible speech and language delays, mm -hmm. um, possible red flags um, with social pragmatic disorders, including autism spectrum disorder. Um, so those are the majority of the phone calls I get for the early intervention clients. Um, so especially as of late, I think really because of the pandemic and kids kind of being um, in home and not exposed to daycare facilities or even schools, we're seeing a little bit more um, children that need more special attention as it relates to language, communication, speech, even reading. Um, so those are the kind of the phone calls um, recently that I've been getting. Do you feel like you see more cases now? Um, then, you know, maybe three years ago, like pre-COVID? I don't know if I see more cases. I think maybe parents ha are a little bit more aware just because during the height of the pandemic, they were, we were put in position where we were in, in home with our mm -hmm. children and kind of had, kind of were able to spend more time mm -hmm. with them. So some of the red flags may have been um, a little bit more um, apparent to them. So I don't know if it's a rise in cases or if it's just people are more aware um, in speaking about issues. And also maybe the good news is, is because of the uh, awareness of early intervention, the parents have just been reaching out more to, um, you know, to service providers for additional help. How does the language delay affect them in school? That's a really good question. So I'll start with early on. So with um, your preschool age kids or even um, as early as 18 months, the language delays can impact them socially. Um, and then as the kids get older, it can imp impact them academically. So there is a research to support that um, kiddos who have language delays early on that aren't really remediated um, are going to continue to have difficulties um, in academics as they get older, um, and that includes reading and writing um, and that verbal and written expression. So um, 
you know, it impacts them early on socially by um, establishing relationships with peers um, and also other adults. Um, and we can go into, you know, more specifics. Um, I think of children in the daycare settings that I see and that, you know, it's important for kids to learn how to advocate for themselves um, mm -hmm. to, you know, to request help to their teachers or even advocate for themselves with their peers. So um, but it impacts them socially and important for them to know how to kind of act in the classroom but to both adults and to peers. Like what signs or what am I looking for in a child? Like when should I start, you know, getting help or when do I you know, what, what exactly, like as a parent who might be a first-time mom and they don't know, you know, is it normal? Like, yes. you know, my, my child is one and it's not saying anything. Yeah. Should I go get help? Like, can you like maybe give us a step down on like what age developmental-wise? Yes. Yeah, that's a really great question. So First, I want to say that the age of what's con considered normal or typical, there is a, it is a, it is a spectrum. So while one child may be developing at a faster pace, it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with the child. Um, with that said, there are certain red flags that I would recommend looking for uh, at an early age. If at least by one, the child isn't saying at least one word, um, babbling happens really early on in, in, in infants. So always make sure that your child is babbling back to you that you know, even infants make eye contact really mm -hmm. early on. So eye contact, babbling, one year old, they're at least saying one word to communicate. That can be anywhere from requesting their wants and needs or even commenting about their environment. Um, so those are kind of the red flags, um, eye contact, babbling. Um, and then by two years old, they should be able to combine at least two words into phrases. Um, and then kind of also um, what's important, too, that I don't, I don't want to forget to mention is how are they playing? So their play skills are really important. Um, I don't expect a one or two year old to necessarily be engaging in imaginative play, but I do expect a one to two year old to play with toys how they're intended or play creatively with their toys. Yeah. Ask their parents to play with them in very simple ways um, or even ask a sibling to play with them. So independent play is really important, not just for building the child's um, creativity, but also for leisure skills. So those are kind of the things to look for in terms of red flags um, that I would tell most parents. Are there any misconceptions parents should know about speech delay? So um, I typically, what I typically tell parents um, and other practitioners is to kind of not take the wait and see approach. I think that um, if the red flags such as not babbling or making eye contact or even responding to your name. If you, you know, if parents are seeing those um, issues come up at home, definitely talk to your pediatrician. Um, sometimes um, we do hear about the, oh, it's, you know, it, it, it might be typical because there is a wide range of normal mm -hmm. of what would be considered typical. Um, but as a parent, I would really encourage you to follow your gut. And if you think that something may be, um, if, if you feel like you need more support in an area, to speak to your pediatrician and also um, in, the, in the areas of speech production and language production, um, I, would, I would recommend reaching out to a speech language pathologist. What are your views or what do you think how the schooling system has changed or evolved over the years? Like, do you feel like parents are more focused on the educational aspect and not focused on the 
you know, yeah. the other other things like social skills and life skills yeah. that are equally important? That's a really great question. And I think that um, as a parent, I understand the need to want to focus on academics because, you know, we think school and daycare, we go straight to wanting a curriculum. But what's important to recognize, too, is that those curriculums should be focusing on social skills at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, kids need to know how to problem solve. They need to know how to, how to emotionally problem solve. Um, an example of that would be kids need to learn how to wait. Waiting is really important. Parents and friends can't give them what they need immediately all the time, especially in this age mm-hmm. of Amazon deliveries being so immediate yeah. or the internet being so immediate or mm-hmm. YouTube clicks. I have a two-year-old and I know when she sees a commercial on YouTube, she has issues waiting. So my husband and I are actively teaching her, like, listen, it's okay. You don't you don't have to whine or mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. you know, whatever in order to get the show immediately. So mm-hmm. waiting, accepting no functional life skills, be able to tie your shoes, eating with a spoon. I also think as parents, we want to help our children right away instead of letting them kind of make simple mistakes in their environment. Mm-hmm that those little mistakes are what are essentially teaching them. Um, So while academics and learning letters and numbers is very important, I also think it's even more, I can argue it's even probably more important between the ages of zero to four, even zero to five, to really work Mm -hmm. on that social maturity before um, a child is even ready to access more of academic kindergarten readiness. What do you think about multiple languages now that, you know, we are so diverse and our neighborhoods are so diverse mm-hmm. and many children speak more than one language and hands always worry when, you know, when they're putting them in school, is my child going to be behind in English? Yeah. But, you know, do you think knowing a child, knowing multiple languages actually helps them or slows them down? Yeah. So I can, yeah, I'll answer this clinically first and then kind of like, Personally, yeah. um, there is no research to support that had that being bilingual will, will delay a child in one language over the other. Um, if anything, there is research to support that a child knowing two languages um, can help them. Um, if anything, maybe their vocabulary size in either language will, would be a little bit smaller, but mm-hmm. in total, they would still have the same amount of language um, or vocabulary size as if they're a monolingual child. So what I encourage parents to do is to continue speaking in your native language. If it's important to you as a family, go ahead and do it. I know I come from um, a bilingual family. I was raised um, in a Spanish-speaking family, Mm -hmm. and my parents never strayed away from making sure that my sister and I were exposed to both languages. With that said, um, if we're in a situation where a child has a language disorder, that's kind of another thing to consider. So a language disorder, a child, you know, they're having issues learning language. They're going to have issues learning language in both languages. So it's not a matter of that one um, native language impacting Mm -hmm. the other language. Um, So again, I encourage families to do what's important to you um, and also to encourage professionals like speech language pathologists to be culturally competent and to talk and to speak with the families that they're working with to make sure that they know um, what's important to the families. And if anything, I would look more into, well, what are you doing to enrich your child's language in general? Mm -hmm. Reading is so important, especially at an early age. Mm -hmm. Talking to them with pretty robust vocabulary, 
you know, not like totally adult vocabulary, but I always encourage parents to speak to their children just kind of like they're, uh, they're little adults. Um, I think we need to um, understand the kids are sponges and they pick up on a lot of things. Um, speaking to their child about what their child is doing. An example, if your child is painting, you can say, oh my gosh, you're painting birds and those birds have wings and those wings help the birds fly. I love animals to talk about other animals. Just really expanding on language opportunities. I think that's what parents need to focus in on. And it can be in either language. Mm -hmm. But the point is that you're spending time with your child, expanding their language in very fun um, opportunities. Um, and that's how, they, that's how they learn. When children have language delay or speech delay, it leads to some behavioral problems. Yeah because they're not able to communicate to their friend that yes. they want something, yes. right? How does, you know, the delay affect the behavioral development in a child? Yes. So what's important to consider is that behavior problems um, in young children are learned. Um, and as parents, there's a lot that we can do to kind of set the stage um, for to reinforce positive to to positively reinforce the behaviors that we want to see in our children so with kiddos that have language disorders and communication um, issues um it's important to give your child replacement language so in the example of well my child um, kicks and screams when his brother or sister won't give him the stuffed animal in those situations i would say okay well, what is the behavior that you want to see? And the behavior that we would want to see in that moment is the child saying, can I have my teddy bear? Or in the very least, just say bear. So it's important for parents to realize that the environment plays a huge role. And if in that, in, uh, in that situation, if we do the other thing of, okay, okay, I'll give you the bear after the child is screaming and crying, screaming and crying is going to be the new form of communication. So the environment plays a big role, and um, for kids that have that are having issues communicating, they're going to need a little bit more extra teaching in um, how to communicate, um, so we can kind of work on those behavior problems from a very early age. And I think I think what's important for parents to um, kind of educate themselves on or reach out to um, other service providers is understanding um, behavior. And what is um, socially appropriate behavior or be behavior that we want to see or desirable behavior versus what th the behavior is that we don't want to see. Um, and also parents understanding just very simple um, learning principles of reinforcement um, is really important as well. Two children are in school mm -hmm. and one child bit the other child because they wanted the teddy bear. Yeah. Now the other child started crying, the child who got bit, you know, the child who wanted the bear took the bear, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And now the teacher is consoling and calming the child who got bit. Mm -hmm. So if we don't want this re behavior to be repeated, mm -hmm. what should the teacher be doing so that the child doesn't feel like I can bite whenever I want and I can get whatever I want? Yes, that's a great question. A couple of things. First of all, in that moment, if the biting, if the if the child who bit already did it and he got the toy, in that moment, and it really depends on the situation, but let's just say that this child um, takes well to the teacher giving them feedback, saying something like, 
listen, we don't bite. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take the teddy bear because it's not how we ask for things. Um, so it depends on if the biting had already happened. What I would recommend to the teacher is if biting is an issue with a particular child or even multiple children in a classroom, we have to stay ahead of the game. So it takes a lot more observation to um, kind of stop the biting from happening and give the child a replacement behavior instead. So if we're kind of observing the child who tends to bite, interacting with another child, and we, um, based on previous observation, we know that the child is more likely to, if if the child wants to train in this situation. Mm -hmm. So this child that bites is really into trains and he's playing with a peer and the teacher's observing and the child is showing that he's about to go in for a bite, I would recommend the parent or the adult or the teacher to in, to intervene in that moment. Let divert them. Yeah, divert them. Give them the mm-hmm. appropriate communication response of, can I have the train or train, please? Or mm-hmm. even like very gently taking the train away because that's all three of those are better than biting. Um, and then really reinforce the child for using an appropriate method of communication. Okay. So it's kind of a twofold answer. And you have to know what to do if it happens. And then you have to be as preventative as possible to teach that um, replacement behavior. So after it happens, mm-hmm. right, should the teacher be focusing and consoling the child who got bit? Or should she be directly talking to the child who did it? I think it both. I think both are important because the child who got bit, you know, needs to know that they're supported. Um, if they need medical attention, by all means, that should be priority. I would, as quickly as possible, talk to the other child. Um, probably not give too much attention in mm-hmm. the event that attention is also a little bit reinforcing because we tend to see that sometimes. That it's not just about the bear. It, it's also it's about, about the teacher's attention. So, again, that goes back to what I was saying before, our uh, parents um, be a little bit more educated on what reinforcement really is, um, because sometimes kind of reprimanding a child isn't isn't um, the solution to the problem. It's kind of making the problem worse because they're seeking that adult attention. So what age do you think, you know? They usually grow out of those behavior problems. So I wouldn't say that children grow out of behavior problems. I really want to put the emphasis on um, the child is always right in the sense that the environment teaches them. And then as parents and caretakers, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of hard work to teach kids from the very beginning. And that it, um, if we get into a situation where we are seeing um, a little bit more problematic behavior um, in terms of things like biting or yelling and screaming, we have to realize that children learn these things. Humans, behavior is learned. Um, and that um, it takes a lot of hard work on the caregiver part and on the adult part to undo those behaviors and teach replacement behavior. So I wouldn't say that kids outgrow kids mature for sure and as they learn more language and learn more appropriate social skills problem solving and they're able to uh, then we might see a reduction in those in those uh, behaviors that we don't necessarily want to see but it's what we were talking about before is that problem solving is really important and Mm -hmm. sometimes that problem solving has to be adult mediated and we have to we have to teach the children how to engage in behaviors that we want to see um and that's okay. Sometimes it just takes a little bit extra practice and then you can kind of fade yourself away. But um, I wouldn't say kids necessarily grow out of it. It takes a lot of hard work on teacher and caregiver part. I tell parents 
often is behavior goes where reinforcement flows. So if a child is um, being taught that it's okay to act a certain way, they're going to continue to do that in the future until we kind of put a stop to it and teach them a more appropriate behavior. So what do you think? Like, what, are, what do you think are the advantages of a child learning sign language? Do you think that hinders the, you know, learning speaking language? Yeah. Um, no, I think if anything, uh, I think it's great for them to um, learn sign, especially at an early age. With, but what I want to make an important um, point of is we want to kind of expand past the general signs of more or help or please by doing really simple things. So if we're going to teach our children this, to sign more, to sign help, add more vocabulary to that. So if we teach them more, say something like, sure, more of, oh, you want more apple? Yeah, I can give you more apple. Um, or you want more water? Sure, I'll give you more water. No problem. Um, so kind of pa go past that one word to expose them to more nouns um, and to also expose them to that longer phrase or sentence structure. Mm -hmm. um, we want to avoid situations where we're only teaching a child to sign more or help, especially with young kids that don't have the language to expand mm -hmm. um, because we want to um, avoid them, you know, walking up to us and just doing this or even saying more. And then as the adult, you're like, oh, more, more of what? And then the child is frustrated and they, that's when they start to scream. And that's when they start to cry. And then as the adults, because we want the screaming and crying to stop, we start offering them things. So then right. what, what just happens? They said more, more didn't work. Screaming and crying worked. So screaming and crying is going to be the communication in the future. So I think teaching sign language is wonderful. Um, but expanding on that, I think, is the uh, expanding it with more uh, language after that is what's really important. So how can you how can we take, you know, you know, my child follows my child goes to school, follows this schedule, has everything, you know, they do they do things throughout the day. Now, when they come home, they are a whole different person. Yeah. Right. And it's hard for some of the parents to understand that, you know, their child is following a schedule and following those, you know, consistency, the things throughout the day. And now they need a break. Yeah. How can we continue to still have, you know, consistency even at home? Yeah. Um, we see this all the time. And I, I know that I experience it in our, in our home, too. I think that, first of all, Everyone wants a break when they get home, and that's completely natural. Um, everyone wants to watch TV or relax on the couch or do some type of leisure activity. Um, with that said, I think there's a balance between, you know, when an educator is telling you, well, we follow a schedule at school. If we're then communicating, well, consistency is key. What we, we're not saying is you must follow a schedule when you get home at 5 p.m. because that's not realistic for you know, for most families. And it's, every, again, everyone's tired. I think there is a balance. And I do think that um, it's everyone's right to go home and have a re more relaxed environment. But I do think that still there, it's okay to still have ground rules that are general and to still, ha and to still remain consistent. And by consistency, I mean, say what you, say what you mean and mean what you say. Um, and an example of that is, if you're going to tell your child to, hey, can you please pick up your toys and they look at you and walk away, 
make sure that you follow through with what you're asking them to do. Because walking away, if, if it's reinforced in that moment, it could happen again in the future. So there is a fine balance between like, hey, everyone wants to relax at home, no problem. But being consistent with your requests and being consistent with your environment is um, really important. And you don't have to do it in a way that's exhausting to you. But, you know, kids do thrive from um, consistency and direction. Um, and again, mean what, say what you mean and mean what you say is a common recommendation that I give parents because um, kids are smart and they're going to when they're tired and they're hungry and um, you know, it's the end of the day. They're gonna, they're gonna try to, try to pull things that they wouldn't necessarily pull at school. But it's like I said before, behavior goes where reinforcement flows, and it could be the case that at school, uh, the children have learned over time. Okay, well, my teacher is super consistent. They don't really let me get away with X, Y, and Z, but they give me so much attention for the things that I'm doing so well. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about you telling them no or being strict. It has nothing to do with it being strict. It has to do it has to do with being consistent. But it also, you know, many times parents are going to say, you know, we're tired. We ask our child to clean up five times. They didn't listen. We just ended up doing it ourselves because at that point we were so tired. Mm -hmm. So we know that they know exactly what we're talking about, right? Because they definitely, they understand, they're smart. Now, would you just cave in and would you clean up? Would you leave it a mess? Because it might drive you crazy mm -hmm. at the end, right? I'd say if a parent gave me that example, I'd say it's less exhausting to say, hey, Johnny, clean up your toys and kind of stand next to him to make sure he follows through with what you're asking him, then by the fifth to tenth time that you've asked him, that's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's less exhausting to take the 10 to 20 seconds to make sure that you're following through with what you're asking him to do because then it's quick. And then you can be like, Johnny, you cleaned up your toys so well. I'm right. so proud of you. Thanks for helping mom. And what's important there is that you're giving him behavior-specific praise and he knows exactly mm -hmm. what he's getting praised for. And that's another point is that we want to be really specific in the feedback that we give our children because that's what helps them and empowers them and gives them, gives them self-esteem. Uh, um, it's, you know, it, it's not the end of the world if you're like, oh, good job. You're awesome. Everyone likes social praise, mm -hmm. or most people like social praise. But what's even better to say is, you are such a good helper. You cleaned up all of your toys mm -hmm. so quickly, um, and you even helped mommy wipe down the counters. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And then over time, we should see an increase in that. So to answer your question is, um, professionally, my advice is it is less exhausting to kind of stand there for 20 to 30 seconds to make sure Johnny cleans up his toys than to keep on, than repeating, to keep on repeating yourself because yeah. it's at, over time, it's just going to keep happening. So it's better to just nip it right there. And in the future, um, it's, you know, if that social praise is important yeah. to Johnny, then he'll start cleaning up more yeah. immediately. I also, um, I also feel like as parents, we are so engrossed in everything that we need to get done mm -hmm. that yes most of the time the praise doesn't happen yes yeah mm -hmm. you know we just we just expect them to do it why do we have to praise them mm -hmm. but i feel like you know i i read it somewhere that for every time you ask somebody to do something or do a task 
you know, you need to end it with at least five positive reinforcements mm-hmm. because one negative can let you down. But then I also feel that, you know, in children, the more you praise them for specific behaviors, yep. it goes and then they continue yes. to do those for them, for their friends, like when their friends clean up. Yes. Yes, that's a, that's a good point also is that we want to catch the good behaviors and kind of work on the not so great behaviors. So, um, and again, it takes a lot. It's hard work. This, this isn't easy and being a parent isn't easy, but Mm -hmm. if we're just more in tune to, um, the things that we're talking about to kind of make the environment more of a positive environment Mm -hmm. for everyone. And it is true. We want to, we want to give that praise and attention for desirable behaviors Mm -hmm. and not necessarily only give that attention for when the child's engaging in something that's not so desirable. Because what could happen over time is that we could end up shaping or teaching the child that actually doing naughty things is going to get my parent to pay attention to me. So honestly, it's building a lot of awareness. And, um, you know, we live in a day where iPads and computers Mm -hmm. and phones, we are so distracted. And we sometimes forget that, like, we don't have to be surfing on Instagram when our kids are next to us. So even if you take two minutes of the day to be to tell yourself, instead of doing this, I'm going to talk to my child and engage with them and um, be really um, explicit about the things I like that they're doing. You're even being like, I, you know, that, that painting is really cool. Can you show me mm-hmm. how you did that? That goes a long way. So really focusing on talking to them about all the great things that they're doing because they're probably doing a lot of great things throughout the day and mm-hmm. um, knowing, knowing what to do when they're in kind of engaging in the undesirable behaviors as well. Are there out-of-school services that parents can apply to their, ch- to their child to improve in these areas? Yes, especially early on, early intervention services. Um, all counties have um, public early intervention services. Um, and you can just go online and find the right people to contact. Um, so I'd really recommend making use of the county provided services. Um, with that, um, and it depends on the needs of the family and the needs of the child also, mm-hmm. that if they need extra support, there's also private services. Um, and within private providers, you can have an in-network provider, um, which means it's someone that will accept your insurance. And we'll bill insurance for you, or you have you can have add an out of network provider, um, and those are providers that don't take insurance. But um, most out of network providers are happy to work with families to provide uh, relevant documentation in order for families to submit for reimbursement themselves. And that really just depends on what a family's out of network coverage is like. So there is the public route and the private route. Um, sometimes a combination of both is very beneficial um, for different reasons, but. It's, you know, the recommendation that I gave earlier is don't necessarily take the wait and see approach, especially with the wonderful options that counties can provide mm-hmm. um, at a public and free level. It's better to just know at the, from the beginning, very early mm-hmm. on, if it's an issue or if it's not an issue to know exactly what to do. So, you know, all of the information that you gave us about, you know, language development and behavior um, issues in children. We greatly appreciate. We know that all our viewers and our listeners are going to appreciate all the you know amazing nuggets you gave. You know, just to sum it up, it's very important to have a consistency, yeah. as you mentioned. Yeah. Children strive on consistency. They, you know, whatever you decide as a family, 
everybody has to be equally mm-hmm. involved in that. Yeah. And, you know, your behavior goes where reinforcement flows, yeah. which is great. It's not, children are not born with certain behaviors. They are learning from their environment where they are in. Exactly. So, you know, we thank you for coming and we appreciate everything that you have shared with us. If you would like to reach Ms. Macarena Fernandez, her information will be in our bio. And thank you for watching and listening to Decoding Parenthood. Until next time. Thank you.